It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. So, wow, I have a really heavy show. (laughs) Not heavy. It's super, super interesting. Super interesting um, that um, I want you to put all put your thinking caps on and really try to grasp this because it is where humanity is headed. And, you know, we all know with this pandemic that we're experiencing that on the other side of it things are not going to look the same but in time things are really going to look much different so I think it's sort of a uh, a segue to what's to come so many of us have come to understand and acknowledge that we are the expression of one universal force all part of the oneness but what would change if we really began to live and experience life From that place of totality, not from the duality, that separation that has marked our current reality. In today's special guest, Rebecca Dawson's remarkable book, The Agreement, she describes the infinite power available to us when we come into awareness and agreement of our true existence and how the world we experience will then come into agreement with us and who we truly are. This is not merely speculation. It is the information provided directly to Rebecca by the masters, aspects of source that are committed to helping mankind prepare for the shift to a multi-dimensional reality that is already unfolding. Rebecca says that we are awakening to our fifth dimensional reality. Her book, The Secret, is the roadmap of how to consciously exist within this evolution there are some of the key, these are some of the key messages that are urgently being brought forward by Rebecca an internationally renowned teacher and author living and working in Australia she has been channeling the wisdom of the masters for more than 25 years good morning Rebecca welcome hello hello thank you so much for for having me it's my pleasure. Okay, so I have your book, The Agreement, in front of me. And as I told you before we got on air, that I have so much flagged in this book that I hope we can cover it all. But I think it's important that we get, <laughs> that we get this concept down because everybody's probably scratching their head and saying, what? Going from totality, not duality. So what exactly are is the agreement about, or if you can just sort of abbreviate that, I don't know if you can. Sure, I can. Okay. (laughs) I've given it a lot of thought and attention over recent years. So so this really um, pertains to what the shift from our 3D reality as we have known it into more of a 5D awareness is actually all about. So when we talk about 3D reality, we talk about things in terms of action and reaction and cause and effect, black and white, up and down. And that's basically what we talk about when we talk about duality. It's also about a sense of separation from each other and separation from consciousness or God or that which we believe is is the life within everything. And so this sense of uh, separation or this distance uh, is, is what is, called by some uh, philosophies and teach ancient teachings as as maya. And maya really is the distance between two points. And that maya really is what some philosophies would point to as the illusion uh, in the truth of who we really are and how we really operate as beings. So if we think about that push between cause and effect and action and reaction and how what we create in this life takes a lot of effort and a lot of push and a lot of consistent drive 
um, and a lot of focus in one direction. That, in essence, is the mechanics of how we operate and how we create things and move things and create change that is, in essence, going to shift. And how that shifts is it shifts because we stop donating energy and focusing on sacrifice in order to choose things. When we have a dualistic experience, we have to either choose between A and B. There's an opportunity cost involved. So again, we have duality. Now, when we begin to move into a more expanded consciousness, uh, for example, fifth dimensional reality, which is where the earth and the collective consciousness is moving now, it's less about a dualistic framework for existence. And so because of that, we start to have more of a, an awareness of our, not only our connectivity, but the fact that we might all be of the same source or of the same consciousness. The mechanics for creating and creating change also shift because that's what happens when you go through a paradigm shift. So in fifth dimensional reality, we don't create change and uh, create abundance in our lives and uh, create movement through traversing distance or donating energy and, and going through this experience of cause and effect. We actually do it through agreement, or what, what we call and what the masters call agreement, which is a resonance. And basically, it, it means that whatever we are resonating as, whatever we are in agreement with within ourselves, we begin to experience more of ourselves because we recognize ourselves in everyone, in everything around us. And so therefore, everything that's in agreement with who and what you are begins to show up in your life. So there's less friction and then there's less sacrifice and there's less push, less drive that's required in order to create change. It happens in a more natural way and it's less about trial and error. Everything begins to move into agreement with you. So that's, that's in essence what we talk about is uh, the change in that approach to how we live life. Okay. <clears throat> that is so soothing. <laughs> As you're telling me that, I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, I want to be there. Wow, that just sounds so wonderful. So you're getting all this information from the masters. Who are the masters? Who have they told you they are? The masters have come through individually over time, uh, and they actually don't call themselves the masters, actually. That's what um, audiences and groups that we've channeled to over the years have called them. Um, but they have identified as na names that some of us have heard of throughout history, um, and they refer to themselves. Uh, there's three um, that I can identify easily that come through as Jermaine and Serapis Bay and Kasumi. So they've been coming through for a number of years and sometimes they come through individually when, when there's some real persona that's required in the delivery of the message. And sometimes, um, especially when the content gets very heavy, we get, start getting into the mechanics of space-time or, or, or DNA, things beyond my understanding, they, um, they will often come through as a group consciousness. And have you been channeling this consciousness for a long time? Yes, yes, since my very first experience uh, when I was just 18, just turned 18. Uh, that was when my very first experience happened and that was, uh, that was Serapis Bay back then. And then over the years, uh, Jermaine and Kasumi joined in. It became a party. <laughs> How often do, do you channel them or are they always with you? They're always with me. It's difficult sometimes to, I think I've been doing it for so long now. It used to, it used to feel very, um, very distinct when it used to happen, like because I wasn't used to the frequency or the vibration when I first started channeling, you know, my, my body would really feel quite affected and uh, my, my body language would change and it was quite cumbersome. But I think because I've been doing it for so long, it's very difficult to tell the difference. These days, I could be having a conversation with somebody and it's all there anyhow, which is quite nice, actually. <laughs> yeah. 
Wow, to be connected yeah. to. And the, I, I do to, a lot of channeling, so I'm channeling most days. That's amazing. You say in your introduction that the courage to step off the pathway to enlightenment occurs at the perceived point of failure that many of us feel when we have hit a limit. What do you mean by that? Well, when we come to a point where we can't push anymore and everything that we believe we think works, we come to a point where we really have to let go. And in that point, it's not a case of giving up. It's actually stopping the push of energy, stopping that drive of what I want is over there and I'm still trying to get towards it. Again, the separation between yourself and what you want and what you're trying to achieve. And the, the point of non-resistance, which is the point where you relax deeply into where you are, is often the point of going into the I don't know space. And I think we've all had that when we say, I don't know what else to do. I've done everything I can do. I've got nothing left. Not only in day-to-day practical experiences, and I've heard this from many people, but also within our spiritual lives, when we get to that point of really giving in, when we feel like we've tried everything, that's when the answer often appears. And, and as the masters explain it, the reason for that is because we actually move into agreement with ourselves in that moment. Yes, I've done enough. Yes, there's nothing more that I can do. And in that space, we drop into availability. So we stop pushing and suddenly we're available. We're available for what could possibly happen. That's a little bit like being in the present moment. So a miracle can occur. But we don't do it when we're always focused on where we're trying to get to. So the point of failure and the letting go and the giving up is sometimes the most beautiful and spontaneous experience that leads to a solution or an experience or an event that we couldn't have possibly expected. And I've seen it time and time again, and it's just incredible. So are we, it's not that we're just going to move into disagreement or this dimension change. Do we actually will ourselves to make this change? Well, actually, no. And this is part of the the letting go of the push. It's actually happening. It's happening on a collective level now. And I think it's been happening over the last 15 years, people have been experiencing changes in who they feel that they are. A lot of people have been having changes with their physical bodies. Sometimes we call these things ascension symptoms, lots of little hiccups in the physical system. We, we've seen it, especially in the last two years, with people, even people who are really awakened and really conscious, suddenly not understanding who they are losing their sense of identity or purpose. That's a really common one at the moment. I get contacted from a lot of people around the world who are feeling like suddenly they have no reason to really exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think particularly with the disruptions in 2020, a lot of us have begun to ask big questions. Well, what am I really doing here? What am I pushing for? What direction am I going in? And so the shift is happening. I, th- I think our... my my you know, opportunity in this and great honor really is to assist people to understand that it's happening so that they can become more comfortable with it. Because the ways in which we've navigated and done things and tried to create our lives and tried to set goals and achieve them is not working so well when the whole mechanics for how we create things begins to change. So we do feel that it's already happening And if you can understand how things begin to work more efficiently in this new energy, it can save a lot of frustration and you can actually start to really begin to create new pathways in your life. And that's what we're really, really interested in, in in speaking about and sharing about, particularly with this new book. Is this a feeling of lack of resistance? just sort of going with the flow? Is that is that the kind of feeling that we may experience? 
I think that's a wonderful way to begin, absolutely. But people find that very difficult. We're, we're very rarely given permission to do that because everything within our education and, and how we're taught to develop our personalities and, and create things in our lives is about putting in the effort. And so even to become, you know, to become a better version of us, put in the effort. To become a more conscious human, put in the effort. And I think it isn't to say that we don't still want those things and to be the best that we can. But if we move from pushing towards a goal and striving and burning a lot of energy in the meantime because we've all had burnout doing things that way, it becomes a, 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 a releasing into who you are, a re deeply relaxing into who you are. So you can still have an idea of, of what it is that you feel that you might like to experience, but there's less of the striving. There's more of a relaxing into the awareness that it's possible. You say that many are experiencing this vacuum effect where it feels as if you are the only one, where it feels as if nobody can see or hear you, where it feels as if whatever efforts you make to create effect are pointless. And I think that's what you were talking about. Yes. That's got to be a very odd feeling for us to have. Well, I think many people are experiencing it now. And, it's, and I think people experience it on a practical level when the things that they've always done that work for them in their lives, because we, you know, we set things up that work for us and we stick to them. We know what works and we stick to it. And suddenly when those things don't produce the same effect anymore, it can be a very confusing time. Very confusing time. And those are the times where you suddenly start to think, well, gosh, have I lost it? Have I lost the magic of what I do? Am I, am I not meant to be this anymore? Maybe I used to be really fantastic at this and I'm not anymore. And, and these are the sorts of comments and, and questions we've been hearing over years about people who are moving into this new energy. And when that happens, of course, people start to question their identity and their roles in life. And, uh, and that's when we can become quite disillusioned and feel as if we lose our relevance our relevance in society or our relevance in terms of what we're good at or what people value us for. And those are the times when we do start to feel invisible or in a vacuum because you don't feel like you're having any effect on anything. Wow. You know, as somebody who, you know, is in the self-help field that, you know, works with people, helping them overcome emotional issues, it's very important for me to feel as if I'm effective. And I'm just wondering where that shift could happen because, and I guess if more people were just shifting on their own, they wouldn't need me. I guess that's kind of the case if they were just shifting yeah. on their own. So yeah. is that kind of, I'm, I'm trying to understand this in relevance to myself. And I think that's a brilliant example because actually I see a lot of therapists and psychologists. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not, not something that hasn't been discussed many times. But really it becomes about what your, what your focus is and it becomes less of what effect you're having on the person and more of what your experience of it is. And I mean, I used to be a, a counsellor in a clinical setting for many years as well. And for me, I would come out at the end of the day from seeing, you know, a day full of, of people. And I would feel really good if I felt like I'd had an effect or I could see progress in them. But I'd also, I'd also leave the room not feeling so good if I didn't feel like I was making progress with them or if I wasn't getting the effect that I would hope that I was able to ignite. And what I started to realize was that my own sense of um, joy, I guess, was being dictated by a perceived outcome. So on a, just, on a, just relating to my own personal experience, what I started to realize was that I needed to do it for my own sense of joy. And when I was in a joyful space because it was interesting to me, or because I was exploring, I wonder what will happen if I say this, or I wonder what will happen if, if I do it this way instead. 
what would happen was that I would feel completely energized because it was no longer about what effect or what echo I was going to have with the other person. It was about how I felt about doing it myself for me. That that's when I really began to see real impact and real impact because the clients that were coming in were beginning to move into agreement with me. So because I was in a joyful state and I was enjoying this so much just to see what was possible without having a desired goal, but I wonder what's possible. I wonder what's going to happen in this space. I wonder what this person is going to be like today without any expectation. What would happen is that they would start moving into agreement with me. So rather than worrying about all the things that were happening in their lives they couldn't control, they would start to say, oh, well, I wonder, I wonder what my husband's going to be like when I get home or I wonder how this is going to get resolved. And so that beautiful resonance began to happen without trying to hit the target, gotcha. I guess. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I understand. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because people ask me how I do what I do because I work with people who are very, very broken. And I say because I have no attachment to the outcome. And exactly. I think, and that's basically what you're saying. I cannot be attached to the outcome. I can just do what I do yeah. without the expectation of what's going to come from it. So good. That's very That's right. affirming for me. Yeah, that really is. And then it becomes so exciting for you in, in what you do because then every day is different and every day is exploring. And we learn so much more and experience so much more because we're not just doing what we always do. <laughs> right. That's a big wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, different every day. About, yeah, it is. Talk about the phrase, I exist, um, which launches you into your truest, greatest capacity, because true creation exists where there is no cause and there is no perceived or desired effect. So let's oh, talk about that. I exist. <laughs> I exist. Yes, we're getting right into it, gone, right into the meat. You got straight to it, Randy. This is, the, this is the, big, the big nugget in all of this. I think it's actually out of the 25 years of content that I've delivers, I think it's probably the most important two words that that we could possibly feel into. Because part of being human in our world and part of being human in third dimensional reality has been the premise that we must have a purpose or a mission to be here. I mean, I've certainly embraced that. I'm sure all of your listeners have. And, and in many ways, it's helped us to find direction. It's helped us to find a path and stay on it. But again, there's that distance between where you are and where you want to be. And so there's such an incredible, and I, I, I'm going to use the word belief. Some people might like to use the word programming in, in this conversation instead of the word belief. But there's an incredible, incredibly entrenched belief within ourselves and within our society that we, if we don't have a purpose or a mission, we don't really have the right to exist. We don't get to just be here. We don't get to just be here with our presence and discover and be a space for possibility. We need to be creating an effect. And if we're not creating an effect, then we shouldn't really be here. And I, I think this is such a powerful statement to affirm to yourself that I exist because I guess it's a little bit similar now that I think about it to that phrase, I am. I am that I am. Because it's a statement that you are regardless of how you appear or what you do or how important you are to other people. And, and I think that's such an incredibly important thing right now because not only does it affirm the power of your own being, but it, it reminds you and fortifies you to continue to exist even when you are disoriented or confused or you feel that you've lost your value or lost your identity, as many people are going through right now. Um, there's a lot of people choosing to leave 
the planet right now. I don't know what it's like where you are, but we have an incredibly high rate of people who are choosing to leave, especially through COVID, because they just don't know where to go anymore or what to do or what their value or purpose is. And, and really, it's just showing up. It's just being. And our presence is so powerful when we look out into, you know, a forest and we look at all these trees and plants, they're not asking themselves what their mission or purpose is. They just exist. And it allows them to exist very naturally. And I think that's what humanity is, is moving back to. This is so very exciting. You talk about the relationship to distance and that there is no distance. And you say the mind cannot ascertain where you are if it cannot measure distance. So can you explain how distance affects our transition here or what we're, you know, what we're experiencing versus where we're going? Sure. Because, I mean, as, we, as we, we've mentioned and spoken about duality is that point of reference. I know I exist because this thing over here exists. And, and, and there's a relation point between the two. We're always looking to things beyond ourselves to prove that we have value or that we exist. And so when that distance uh, starts to collapse, when we stop looking for external reference points to tell us who we are or what direction to go in, we really, really begin to show up. And it, it suddenly allows us to look at where we are. Because even, even if you're looking outside of yourself, I mean, if you're, if you're going on a hike, for example, you're never looking at yourself on the hike. You're always looking outwards. Where do I need to go next? And referencing how well you're doing as to how high, high maybe you're climbing or how far along, how, how much distance you've covered, how much time it's taken. But where are you in that? And so in life, if we stop using distance and measuring ourselves in terms of our value, progress, in relation to points beyond us. We, I mean, all the, all the really great stuff about who we are as humans and our consciousness is all available right here where we are. It's, it's kind of interesting, actually, to think that we, we're born in this pure consciousness. I mean, babies, they're just beautiful, aren't they? Their consciousness is so pure. That's why we love being around them. And then as we grow, we're conditioned to keep our eye on the prize, keep our eye on this knowledge system out here and this belief system out here and this piece of information and this set of skills. And it's all things outside of ourselves. And then we, we focus so much on all the external stuff, we forget about everything that we come in with. And, and we completely lose sight of it. We don't live from it. We don't pay attention to it. We don't consult that consciousness within us when we need to make a choice well we learn to do it I think again later in life but we lose a sense of who we are and yet our true intelligence is is within we're born with it so when we stop measuring ourselves and we just come back to one point we really start to amplify and and the the sacred energy that we are can really start to glow if you think of us as like candles or flames we can really start to expand and, and when a, you know a candlelight really amplifies in a dark room suddenly there's all of these things you didn't know that were sitting there <laughs> opportunities in life and and things that you can really really begin to play with and explore that you can't see when you're just looking at a point of reference beyond you when you're just looking in one direction you can't see all the good stuff. That's so true. You said that the, um, the body is generating new blueprints of experience. Why and how is this happening? It's happening because the body is moving into a state of totality. So when you talk about blueprints, how does this, you know, I know it's all one and the same, basically, but, but what are you referring to here in, with the blueprint, about the blueprints? So when we speak about blueprints, there's a couple of different ways we can look at this. One, one level, one level is probably not the right word, but one way I look at um, blueprints and the masters have shown us is the actual um, design for uh, experience. So there, there are blueprints of human experience, which means that within, for example, if you're a female, 
there are certain blueprints for experience that get carried out and lived lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. So the, the same sorts of traumas, the same sorts of family constructs, the same sorts of roles, the same kinds of identities. And so all of those possibilities of experience exist within a blueprint. And the same thing goes for men. And it really depends on your ethnicity as well. And there's, there's different constructs for the experience that we have. And all mm-hmm. of this is stored in your DNA. But we also look at the biological construct of blueprint as well. So there are designs within your DNA that will determine what kind of physical capacity you have, what kind of sensorial capacities you have. And so this shift in consciousness that we're all going through collectively as a humanity is in essence going to switch on more capacity within our DNA for our senses, for our long body's ability to heal itself, for our ability to use our internal wisdom and know a lot of things without having to seek external sources of knowledge. But it's most, more importantly, I think, well, for me anyway, is, is, is very profound, is that it's going to ignite a whole new set of blueprints for experience that we haven't yet been able to access which means that roles and identities and, and, and the types of things that we get to experience as humans, there's whole new sets that are becoming available, which for me is incredibly exciting because we don't even know what they are yet because we haven't experienced them before. <laughs> right. But I'm anticipating that in the next 20 years, there's going to be an awful lot of new things that will become normal in terms of how we live our lives. And I don't just mean technology and innovation. I mean the kinds of roles and functions that we perform. And when we think of DNA, we sometimes think of it in terms of our physical bodies. Will that be changing as well? Yes, and, and especially in terms of its functionality. I mean, I think we, we've seen generation after generation slight changes in that anyhow, particularly with things like body mass and height, uh, you know, and strength, uh, longevity. And and while we could say, well, it's because of nutritional medicine, I'm entirely (laughs) focused (laughs) on that rationale. Um, But really, we are talking about the ability for the body to regenerate uh, and, and the actual shape and form of the DNA. And the masters have been saying this for a long time, that DNA is is not originally supposed to be two strands that there's more to come uh and indeed that it is originally designed to be spherical and and it was interesting because someone in europe sent me an article a few weeks ago uh, from a scientific journal saying that they've just found their first spherical shaped dna so there's so much more capacity that we have i mean in basic psychology we know that we've only mapped really you know 10 to 20 percent of the brain so there's so much more that we can do that we are not aware of because so much of our focus has been outside of ourselves instead of actually exploring what's going on inside of ourselves. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. Does that is this going to have an impact on disease that we're having, like diseases like cancer that we're having a hard time controlling or curing? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that part of moving into new blueprints of experience will mean there will be new innovations and technologies. But I think we're actually going to start to look at the human body differently too because we're starting to turn our attention to ourselves and our own our own um, physical and, you know, spiritual consciousness intelligence. We're, we're going to start to discover what the body is actually capable of because quite often we don't. We immediately refer to an external assistance rather than actually sit with what is required here within the body, what is actually happening here within the body. And so the body's ability to repair itself, the body's ability to heal itself, the longevity and indeed the potential for physical immortality, which you know has been long recorded in history, thousands of years ago, how long humans were living back then. But also um, the ability for cells, and actually this is a really important point, cells 
not to keep recreating themselves in the same design, but for cells to continually evolve and continually create new. And while we could say, well, you know, cancerous cells are cells that have, you know, moved and created different formats and it's, and it's a problem. Imagine if those cancerous cells were eradicated or removed and they didn't keep recreating. Your cells just emerged and evolved all the time to be able to create new capacities and new functions. I mean, wouldn't that be incredible? Instead of replicating disease, that we would just be on it. That would be so wonderful. Wow. Yeah, and I think that that's everything that is entirely possible and, dare I say, probable for humanity in, in the uh, decades ahead. Incredible. There's a question that you ask. You say, as an empath, I feel emotionally overwhelmed often. How can I handle absorbing emotions in a better way? Because the reality is you don't absorb emotions. This is, you know, when I saw this, I thought, oh, we have to definitely talk about this because so many of my listeners are empaths. So many people um, have carried empathic sensitivity from their childhood. So the masters explain how the mind assesses emotion. Can you explain that to us? Sure. I mean, it, it's really, really interesting about empaths because I'm, I'm an empath too. <laughs> right, exactly. We're all incredibly sensitive. <laughs> right, right. And I th- think sensitivity, sometimes we, we, you know, sensitivity is our superpower really because it enables us to sense more. Um, I don't necessarily think it means we have to be impacted more. There's a, there's a big distinction there between what you can sense and and whether or not you can be impacted by it. So emotions, as the, the masters speak about it in the book, it, I mean, emotion is energy. It's a creative force energy. And quite often it's our ability to identify it and label it and judge it and therefore deal with it in a certain way or use it in a certain way that I think creates that action-reaction experience that perhaps we don't like. That's within ourselves when we have emotion arising within ourselves. And actually, someone gave me a call this morning who was very distressed and said, you know, I feel really emotionally unstable at the moment and uh, I, I, I don't really trust myself to be able to handle all of this emotion. And what we, what we suggest in that case, because I think a lot of people are experiencing this right now, especially very sensitive people, is that rather than qualifying what those emotions are, like saying, well, I'm feeling all these anxious emotions or all of this anger right now, or all of this fear, or whatever it is. But what, do you, what I want to feel is joy or happiness or peace. I want to feel those emotions. It's great to be able to measure your terms of stability within yourself rather than in the having a range of emotions and feeling confused about that range and the ups and downs rather look at it in terms of if the intensity is high and the volumes really turned up then you're doing great you're becoming really sensorial you're getting super conscious because the volume on everything is getting really loud Now, if you're an empath and you're a really sensitive person, you're not actually used to feeling that intensity and thinking that it's possibly okay. We're used to feeling that intensity and going, oh gosh, this isn't good. I need to, you know, go and meditate. I need to go and have a salt bath. (laughs) All of the things I used to do. (laughs) Um, I need to go and get out in nature and put my feet on the ground because I don't like this intensity. Because if we think about it, it's not actually the emotion that's the problem. We're just not used to the volume of it. We're used to pulling everything down to a really peaceful state, and that's how we cope as empaths. So the conversation, as it went this morning, was, well, if you understand that you're really beginning to wake up now on the planet and you're becoming really conscious and you're really showing up, 
so that you can really do some great things. It means that everything's getting louder because you're really, really here. The more conscious you are right now, the more intense you're feeling everything. And so colors are brighter. The light looks different. Your body's having aches and pains. Your emotions are on full blast and swinging wildly. And what that means is that everything in your, in your body is beginning to switch on. And emotion, because it's a creative force that comes out of you, is switching on too. So you're feeling loads of stuff. But what the mind does is it qualifies and it identifies and says, oh, that feeling you're having right now is this, and that's terrible. We need to do something about that. And as soon as you get into that state of it's a problem, rather than just going, oh, it's okay, I'm just intense right now. As soon as it becomes a problem, we try and suppress it or counteract it or deal with it. And that's when friction gets caused. And that's when we, we kind of separate from the emotion. And again, here's the separation. We start to separate from the emotion. We've identified it. It's separate to us. As soon as it's separate to you, it's a problem. And you can't, don't feel like you could control it. And that's when the battle begins. So that's the way we look at it. But really, emotion as an energy is incredibly powerful if we embrace it as that. You know, when you said you mentioned pain, I'm experiencing a lot of pain lately. Are you hearing this from many people? Yes. Are you talking about physical pain? Physical pain. Oh, Mm -hmm. gosh, me too. Yeah, really? back and shoulders this week is a really big one. Upper back, shoulders, and neck right now uh, are really, really big. But yeah, physical pain is a part of this. And it's a part of it because the, the energy and the consciousness that we are is amping up, it's waking up, and it's like being asleep for a long time and you wake up and you have a big stretch and wow, does it feel, oh, it feels tough. So the lethargy's there right now. Uh, the the funny sleep patterns are there right now, but the pain is too. And again, you know, we can see it as a problem to be solved, or we can say, "Wow, that's super super intense right now." And so, we shouldn't solve it or try to alleviate it. Well, I think it's it's by all means. I think it's great to 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 seek relief. But again, you know, seeking relief can be, wow, this is so intense, this experience right now. I can feel all this energy riding, riding in my body. It's really uncomfortable. I'm just going to go and get some relief for this. But without the fear. Gotcha. Gotcha. Without Acceptance. the fear. Yeah. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is what's happening right now. So, okay, I'm going to go and get a massage or I'm going to go and see my doctor. Okay. But where's the fear in it? Right. And then you move on to the next experience pretty quickly because you're not trying to solve it. As soon as you try, start trying to really worry about it and it becomes fear-based for you, it's going to hang around a lot longer. Yes, I so agree with that. A lot of what you're saying are just natural things that I embrace uh, because I've always had yeah. pain in one way or another. But when, yeah, when I used to resist it, when I used to get all upset about it, yeah, it just made it worse. Now I just say, okay, like you said, all right, I have pain again, and um, let's see what we'll do about it. And <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't get caught up in it. So yeah, I guess I'm, I guess I'm more moving in this direction. Yeah, you I think pain question. can be helpful sometimes. So yeah. just, just that point on pain. You know, there's nothing like pain to bring us into the present moment and pay attention to ourselves. Holy cow, you're absolutely right. And it also, so like my physical pain has gotten me to work on my body more, to strengthen my body more, to exercise more, to attend to the needs that my body has. So that's how it has worked for me. Yes. And Um, in those moments, Randy, you know that you exist. I exist. (laughs) I exist. I'm going to use that phrase. I'm going to say that every time. I exist. People say, oh, how are yeah. you feeling? I'm going to say, I exist. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what else is there? <laughs> right, right, exactly. You asked a question. I thought this was interesting. Does our ability to feel distinguish us from other galactic 
groups to define human experience? And the answer was, it is our ability to place thought upon feeling that distinguishes the human experience. So are they saying that this is just the human experience and that in the galactic world of other beings, this doesn't happen or this is not how they live? That's exactly what they're saying. That's exactly what they're saying. And really, that's not even because it's humans within the reality, the version of reality we've been in. So it's humans within the 3D experience that we've known, that action, reaction, cause and effect, that point of distance. So, yeah, absolutely, because we feel something and then immediately we label it, define it, we limit it. As soon as we can identify something, it's immediately been limited as to what it could possibly be. We've immediately put a lid on it. And and that's when we, we limit our experience. And it's very difficult to evolve and it's very difficult to open yourself up to new things if you keep capping things. So, you know, you could feel something and say, oh, I wonder what this is. And as soon as you ask the question, you've taken the limitation off it. And very quickly, it becomes something else. So why do you think humans were brought into the third dimensional world? While, other, while the well, rest of the, the cre- rest of creation is, um, has not been. Well, well as, as it has been shared uh, through, through, through the masters, Earth originally itself was designed to be the ultimate garden of Eden, the ultimate creation space, in, you know, the ultimate galactic garden of Eden, they call it. And the reason for that is because within 3D reality, there's such a quick turnaround of cause and effect, quick turnaround, quick turnaround, quick turnaround. But originally it was designed for very rapid creation, but incredible diversity of creation. So back when the earth was first created, the array of plant life, sea life, animals, you know, the minerals, everything that was available was incredibly diverse. And then humanity as part of that reality was also designed to be incredibly diverse. And we see that in our individualism. No two of us are, are exactly alike. So we can understand that that's the natural law of how Earth was designed. And, and humans themselves are the ultimate creative species. So we have the ability to create from ourselves as well with incredible diversity, not only with our physical bodies, but also with our ideas and our thoughts. But over hundreds of thousands of years, we've found ourselves now within a reality that values repetition, consistency, productivity, and uniformity. And we can see this in an example just in our agricultural practices. We've gone from an incredible diversity of plant life to uniformity, consistency, and reproduction. It's the same with our belief systems and our thought processes through our education. That's all about repeating the same stories and repeating the same knowledge. We see it in how we produce things. We see it in the jobs that we go to, you know, five days a week, 48 weeks a year or whatever it is and do the same task every day. That, that's repetition. That's not what we're designed for. And when you get repetition, you stop getting diversity. When you stop getting diversity, you stop getting creation. So we're through this shift in consciousness that's happening now, we're actually going to move back into that natural law of creation where humans are here and we're creating new things all the time. So from, from the, what we've just what we've just portrayed there, perhaps the question will be, well, how can we do that when everything is set up? You're breaking up. I know what happened. Can you say that again? Oh, sorry. Did you manage to hear all of that or did we? That's what I said. No, 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 no. Can you say that again, please? The whole section? (laughs) Um, It was just like the last couple of sentences. Oh, Okay. So, so the question there might be, well, how do we get back into our natural creation with diversity states, what we're designed for, 
if all of our systems and structures are set up for repetition. And I think if we look at what's been happening around the world in the last year or so, perhaps we might begin to think, well, how many people have had to go home and can't be at their jobs? How many people have had to come out of school and can't be doing the same thing every day? So it's an interesting thing that's happening right now on the planet because it's not just happening in one country, it's happening everywhere. Where people's uniformity and consistency is being disrupted. Systems are being disrupted. So it's very, very interesting because I think it's going to, I think there is going to be quite a few people that will find it very, very difficult to go back to consistent activity. You are so right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about, because I've been hearing a lot about virtual reality and how we're heading in that direction, which is going to take a lot of, really a lot of thought processes away from humans and make it more, you know, the virtual reality. So do you have any thoughts about that? Or I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Yeah, well, well, I have been thinking about it. No one ever really asked me about that. So I don't think I've ever discussed it before. <laughs> but I've been thinking about that in recent weeks, actually. And I was reflecting on how really the premise and ideology of AI is kind of interesting because in a way it's moving back to singularity again. It's moving back. And I do hear this term used by people who are in that AI world, you know, we're moving towards singularity. But I think... You know, anyone that's kind of conscious or, or awakened a little bit or <laughs> works a little bit in these areas that we're discussing today, look at that and I would go, oh, well, moving back into singularity, does that mean moving back into oneness? Does that mean moving back into one consciousness? And so I think that the theme of moving towards the one is great. But I feel personally that AI is perhaps moving back into one but uh, an intelligence that sits outside of us rather than moving back into the one intelligence that sits within us. Hmm. So it's kind of interesting that it's a theme in our consciousness and, and on the planet at this time that we're moving towards singularity, but singularity for a source of intelligence that doesn't originate within us. And I think that's going to be a really, really interesting peak point where humans have to decide, am I going to defer? <laughs> am I going to defer my own, my own uh, sovereignty, I guess, would be the word I would choose to use here. Uh, but both moving towards the oneness, but one sits outside of us and one sits within us. Thank you. Thank I'm not you sure for... if they can coexist. No, that's really... I'm glad that you had given it some thought because... It just popped into my head, and I'm like, I, you know, yeah, hmm, how does this fit in? Because this is sort of a, a direction that we're going into, and at the same time that we're all moving into this fifth dimension. Yeah. What do you think? Um, you talk about how this is affecting relationships with others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it one. is. Okay. <laughs> So how is it? How is it affecting relationships? Well, I think, well, 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 first of all, I think a lot of people who are going through this experience right now, I mean, we've talked a little bit today about feeling invisible and we've talked about losing a sense of purpose and identity. I think, and we've seen this a lot, especially in the last three or four years, people who are sort of feeling more into themselves now are actually choosing not to be in relationships anymore or choosing to get out of the relationships that we're in. We're seeing that a lot, and I'm sure you must see this in, in the field of work that, that you do, um, yes. that people suddenly realize, they suddenly realize, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. And they suddenly, you know, it, things just don't look the same, and it's almost sometimes like a switch. It's just mm -hmm. a switch that happens. Right. It's like, wow, I suddenly realized this isn't for me anymore, or what was I thinking, you know, or what was I doing? Um, and, and that does happen as consciousness awakens because it wants the opportunity to experience more. It wants the opportunity to experience more as you. And so the shift from this cause and effect and putting a lot of effort and focus into things and 
opportunity cost and game, you know, requires sacrifice that we have also applied to relationships because remember the more work you put into a relationship, the better it is. Or so we thought, <laughs> so we believe. And now we're moving into this experience of resonance and relaxing deeply into who you are. You experience more of yourself and then people begin to show up in your life who are in complete agreement with who you already are. And so relationships shift from being about challenging you and you learning from each other and, 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 and really kind of pushing each other sometimes to, to grow and change to being about completely harmonious amplification. And one, one example I give of this, which I think illustrates it really clearly, is say you're a wax candle and your flame is lit. In relationships as we've understood it is that somebody comes in and, you know, you might be the one that's a little bit more awake or a bit more conscious or a bit more giving. And they lean into you as a candle and now their flame is lit. And so now there's a brighter flame. But the problem now is that, wow, their flame is lit now. But because their wick is in your flame as well, because you're now in contract and you're now in service to them, your wax is melting really, really quickly. Really quickly. And it doesn't take really long to kind of burn out, which I think might be the point at which you see a lot of people and assist a lot of people. And so as we move into this new paradigm where it's about agreement and resonance, we no longer go into relationships to challenge each other and help each other grow and learn things from each other. We now move into relationships because your flame is lit. You know who you are. You're comfortable with who you are. I exist. And then somebody else shows up who's in agreement with that. So another candle turns up that's already lit. They know who they are. They know that they exist. And so what happens when you get two candles together in a room? You get a fantastic amplification. And it means that so much more becomes visible. There's new doorways that begin to show up around this room now because you've got more light. Neither of you are dipping into each other's wax. You can both see really clearly. And now suddenly the two of you together have created so many more opportunities. And so that's kind of how I see the distinction between where we've been with relationships uh, and where we're going. You know, I have the biggest smile on my face because I had no idea how relevant all of this was to the work I do. And all the things that you're saying are all the directions I'm direct, I'm helping my clients go into to focus on who they are and to not get into relationships for reasons of needing someone, but because they just want to be together, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm just amazed at, um, at how much, how re- relevant this is. Anyway. <laughs> I well, like I com- think right now we are the demonstration. We are the demonstration of the agreement right now because I'm, yes. you're showing up as yourself. I'm showing up as myself. And there's the agreement. Wow. (laughs) Complete resonance. Oh, Rebecca, that's just wonderful. (laughs) I love when that happens. (laughs) And it's easy. (laughs) Yeah, it it really is easy. Wow. I like that you say in the book, fifth dimensional reality is when the door appears and you walk through it into the next room. (laughs) I love that. What do you mean, or what do you or they mean by that? I think, well, when we're, the way that we've been living in, in 3D reality is, is we have a past, we have a future, this was the step we came from, this is where we are, this is the next step. So everything is very sequenced and linear. And it's pretty, pretty laid out, really, in terms of what we think our options are, and they're pretty limited. It's only when we suddenly have so many options that we get a little bit confused or if we think we have no options, we get a little bit confused. But generally in life, it's like being in a room and there's a door behind you and a door in front of you, where you've been and where you're going. 
And when you're ready, once we once we move into this new consciousness, which is already happening, it's already happening. What it's akin to being in a room, and instead of just having to take a deep breath and take a step forward, suddenly there's now five different doors that have appeared, or fifty different doors that have appeared, and suddenly there's multiple pathways. There's multiple directions you can go in life. And it doesn't mean you have to stick to one. You can choose a different direction in any moment. So you can go from here and through that door and then through that door and then through that door. So really moving into fifth dimensional reality in essence unlocks you from a set pathway of experience. And that's what we were talking about before with new blueprints of experience coming on. It means suddenly you've got real choice for the first time. Mm. This is amazing. The last thing I wanted to ask you about was you introduced the ECBA, E-K-B-A-H. Ah, it's interesting that you, you picked up on that bit in the book. The ECBA is actually, um, I don't know if you ever talk about chakras or anything like that in the body. Yes. Um, yes. yes, okay. So a lot of people, you know, they talk about that throat chakra and how that's what we communicate through. So the chakra system's been changing a little bit and being upgraded, and we have some new energy centers that have been coming online since about 2011. So the ECBAR begins to show up from what I could see um, uh, within the human energy field about, I think it was about 2017 was the first time we started to see that. And that basically is a, it looks more like a gland than a chakra. And it sits behind the throat chakra, actually, just at the base of the skull. And you feel it more at the back of your neck. So a lot of people are actually getting a bit of discomfort there on and off fairly recently, actually, especially in the last couple of months. And basically the function of the ECWA is to allow your internal intelligence, so your internal wisdom, whatever you want to call it, your access to to consciousness or God or whatever you want to call it. It allows that, that to arise from within your body. It passes through the ECWA and it allows you to speak your truth and your wisdom before your brain has an opportunity to interpret it or filter oh, wow. it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So actually, yeah, actually directs wisdom from the heart through the the throat chakra and out because before it would go really from the heart up to the brain the brain would go yes this agrees with my belief systems and external thought patterns no it doesn't and it will filter it out very quickly which is why we often don't listen to our hearts so the ekbar now and it's linked to the pineal so it goes from the heart to the ekbar it can be spoken it goes to the pineal gland and then into the brain in which case the brain now starts to develop a belief system for the wisdom and truth that you are expressing. So your belief now begins to get formed around your truth rather than your truth be formed around external beliefs. So that's what the ECBAR does. Well, we're in agreement again (laughs) because (laughs) around that time I began to have serious throat issues. And nobody could really help me with them. And I still experience aspects of it. Is this, while this is, while we're adjusting to this ECBA, are we going to have throat issues and yes. situations like that? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And there are, there are new um, aspects of our energy field and body coming online all the time. So this is just one of the aches and pains that we're getting at the moment. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot of these throughout the body. Um, right. But that particular one that we're talking about now, the ECBAR, some people experience that as tightness around the throat. Some people mm-hmm. are experiencing it as a change in their voice. Their voice sounds yes. different. Yes. And different tones. I know that's happened for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my voice is quite different to how it was a few months ago. But a lot of people are experiencing the ECBAR as discomfort at the back of the neck, just underneath the skull as well. A lot of people are feeling that, like a pressure. Wait, say, can you say that again? Oh, sorry, did I cut out again? Um, oh, a yeah, lot of I people are experiencing yeah. it at, 
Mm -hmm. at the back of the neck just under the base of the skull as a bit of pressure okay well this is also good to know because I, that makes me not feel like um i'm such an oddball because i went to so many doctors <laughs> and they said oh it's all in your head there's nothing wrong with you nothing wrong with you oh uh, <laughs> i know what you mean i know what you mean vision's another yeah. one left eye vision a lot of people have had problems with the vision in the left eye on and off for a while now so that's really? another one too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm sure this resonates with many people and wow, thank you. This is so so fascinating. I am so glad we got to talk today. And so your book, The Agreement, is this available on Amazon and other outlets such as that? Uh, yeah, it's on Amazon. It's also available through my website. You can get it as an ebook too if you don't want to do the paperback. And the first chapter of the body is actually free on my website. And I think that's a really important chapter for people to have. So I've just put that on there. You can download that for free. Oh, thank you. And again, your website is? Uh, it's my name, RebeccaDawson.net. Super easy. Lots of free resources okay. on there, lots of free channelings and videos and loads and loads of stuff to explore. Oh, so fascinating. Rebecca is with two C's, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-D-A-W-S-O-N. Okay, great. Thank you. It's so good to talk to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I really enjoyed our time together. I think we yes. created an amazing space of agreement. <laughs> yes, I do. I do agree. Well, thank you. I appreciate you all that you do and, and that you shared all this with us today. Thank you so much, Randy. It was a pleasure. Okay. Have, what time is it there, by the way? It is 1.08 a.m. Time for bed. Oh, my gosh, yes. Okay. All right. Well, have, a, have a great sleep. All righty. All right. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours, and go with the flow. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.